Welcome to ADHD is over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is over. Welcome back to our podcast. Today I have a very special guest, a dear friend, someone I've met a little over two years ago that has definitely changed my life and added to uh, the podcast and to having a consultant, a researcher, a friend, and that is Dr. Yaakov Ophir. He's a clinical psychologist at the Mental Health Center of Megillot, regional counsel and a research associate at the Technion Israel Institute of Technology. His main field of research concerns the relationships between psychopathology and technology. He develops artificial intelligence in the age of big data and digital technology, like suicide risk detection from social media through artificial intelligence technologies, as well as the scientific validity of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD. Dr. Ophir published over 20 peer-reviewed scientific articles and taught several academic courses at the University of Haifa, Reichman University, and the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Dr. Ophir received his PhD from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, and he is currently working with leading world experts to develop the promising field of cyber psychology. His research involves computerized analysis of big data sets and focuses on the relationships between internet and psychopathology. Specifically, Ophir aims to develop machine learning-based tools for screening and diagnosing mental health conditions. In his clinical work, Dr. Ophir served as the director of the National Program for Children and Youth in the Dead Sea Municipality, and today he's providing short-term psychodynamic treatments as well as cognitive behavior therapies, CBT, to families and individuals in need. In the past years, following the diagnosis of his own son, Dr. Ophir delved into the field of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD. Through multiple writings and media interviews, mostly in Hebrew, Ophir exposed dozens of theoretical and methodological flaws that characterize the research on ADHD and its related clinical practices. In his view, ADHD cannot be categorized as an objective brain deficit or as a psychiatric disorder, and therefore he openly declares that ADHD should be removed from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the DSM. He is about to release the book published in a few weeks, ADHD is not an illness and Ritalin is not a cure a comprehensive rebuttal of the alleged scientific consensus. This book was based on an article that he wrote in the Haaretz online magazine with the same title, and that is How I Met Dr. Ophir. Welcome, Yaakov. Thank you. Thank you, Roman. It's so good to have you here, and I'm just going to tell the listeners why. You and I have met now probably over a little bit over a year and a half ago, I remember reading an article in the Haaretz uh, uh, online uh, magazine, which was 
entitled, and I love the title to this day, is one of the most powerful uh, uh, titles, headers around ADHD that I've read. And it's called ADHD is not an illness and Ritalin is not a cure. And so I had reached out to the author at the time. I, I, I couldn't pronounce your name. I was like, who is, who is this person? Yaakov. I was like, okay, I'm going to reach out. I'm going to send an email, right? And so since then, you and I have been connected. And what's really amazing about you, so it's probably closer to two years, but what's really amazing about you is that you've now taken the, 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 the context of this article. You've now written a book of the same name, ADHD is not an illness. A scientific book. A scientific book, ADHD is not an illness and Ritalin exactly. is not a cure. Yes, thank you for saying that. Uh, it is now a scientific... The, the subheading of, of this book, the subheading of this book is a comprehensive rebuttal of the alleged scientific consensus. Great. Yes. Thank you for adding that. That is true. And I think it's important for our listeners uh, to know that, you know, you are not only a clinical psychologist, but you're also a research associate at the Technion Israel Institute of Technology. So you are someone who doesn't only have really valid opinions, but you back it up with scientific research and you've written many articles uh, rebuttals to some of the what uh, here in the U.S. we would call science says is true, and you've rebuttaled many of them. And I'm just so so fortunate and so happy to have you finally on the podcast to uh, talk about some of these issues that uh, hopefully our listeners, mostly parents, can take some nuggets of gold away and perhaps realize that when we're told science says that it isn't always yeah. one scientific community. So we'll get into it, but tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you start doing this intense research around ADHD? What inspired you? First of all, I have to say that I'm fortunate to participate in this podcast that I, since we met, I think it was even before the COVID, you know, since we met, I I, I followed your uh, your interviews with, with these the world famous experts that that we the public we don't we are we we were not aware aware of them or of their work. Maybe I was a little bit more, but but I think you did absolutely an amazing job exposing the the hidden science because because science is a discourse, mm. and uh, and we the public we mainly uh, are uh, informed of the consensus of the of the. I call it the alleged consensus because it's not really a consensus, but but we are we are important of the of the most uh, of the strongest uh, voices and uh, let's uh, open brackets. We know that these strongest strongest voices they're uh, sometimes not always, but sometimes they are backed with a pharma company with a pharma uh, money. So what you did is is really really inspiring, and I'm so happy uh, to to. Um, and I'm honored to, to be on your podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you, So, uh, so back, back to your original question. I think we, we share a similar story. You know, because uh, I am a clinical psychologist and uh, my research uh, used to be, uh, or still, I, I used to be focused on, uh, on depression and, uh, and suicide ideation and behaviors. Um, and uh, when my first uh, born uh, son, his name is Mayan, when he was born uh, 10 years ago, 
uh, we notice that he's, uh, he's very energetic and sometimes distracted. But uh, when he was four years old, I was shocked. As a clinical psychologist, not only as a father, I was shocked that my healthy, my perfectly healthy and happy and, and, and charming boy uh, is diagnosed with a lifelong with a lifelong disorder that is, is called sometimes a brain deficit that has a biochemical imbalance in the brain. And there's all sorts of, of, a, of a characteristics that, that, that I, I knew them as a, as a clinical psychologist. I was trained, I, I learned about ADHD, but only when, when, when my child was born and, and the doctor that, was, that diagnosed him um, recommended that we give him a similar medications, powerful medications at the age of four and a half years old. It was, it was then that I understood that something, something is, uh, something is wrong here. And, but that was only an intuition. At first it was an intuition. I had to, I had, I had to start doing my homework, the reading and the research myself. And what I discovered since then is today 10 years old. In the, in the past uh, almost six years, in the past six years, what I discovered is, in my opinion, mind-blowing. And, and your listeners, they will not be uh, surprised like I was because, because they already know, because you, you did this amazing job and you exposed them to the, to the, to the knowledge that is out there. But... Uh, but I still, but I still think that uh, so many people they do not, they do not know. And your yeah. mission, and, and and my mission yeah. too, to inform the public. I think it, it's a, it's a holy mission. And I'm not yeah. telling. I, I would yeah. never tell, tell parents to use or not use medications. I just need to. I just want to, to um, to show them the science, and, to, and also to sometimes to uh, try to teach them how to how to um, to criticize the science. And to make to and, and to learn that the as you said that the the phrase science says is not always right. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. And Yaakov, thank you for telling that story because I think the key word that stood out for me was intuition, right? Both of you and I started on a hunch. We both felt like there's something more to be known. And like like you, I don't tell parents not to to take stimulant medications. If anything, I just say question it first because it's a powerful uh, uh, tool with lots of side effects, right? And so what I would like to do is, uh, there is an article that you and I both came across uh, on the internet, and they were Israeli researchers, I believe, scientists who said that, oh, well, children uh, with ADHD are more likely to get COVID. That's the gist of the article. Yes, and, yes. And I remember, I thinking, remember this article. You know, I remember thinking, oh my God, wait till Yaakov gets a hold of this. And, <laughs> uh, and you did. And tell me more about how did you, what did you think of that article and how did you go about uh, writing a rebuttal on that? Wow. Well, uh, this is a, a, a really uh, fascinating story. And, um, and I would love to, to dive into this story with you because I think it's, it's a case study. It's a case study that will teach us how is it possible that we are not aware of all this science 
We're not aware of Professor of a Dr. Sami Timimi that you brought on your podcast, and you're not aware of Peter Bregin. How is it possible that we don't know that? And and this case study um, shows how the objective and pure science can be really, really, um, I would say very carefully, but I have to say this word, can be corrupted. But, because, but since this is a very strong statement, I, I need to dive into the details because the, the bias or the distortions, the scientific distortions are always in the details. But I will, I will do my best to, to, um, to, um, to be as, a, as available as I can. Not to, not to, I will not enter statistics, I promise. <laughs> but, but the things that, that you're all about to hear will, I think, will help our, our listeners understand how is it possible that, that science says something and this something is, is not really true. Okay, so, so uh, the, the, um, the article that you, that you see, that, that you saw and I, and I saw, um, it was a, a scientific article that said that ADHD increases the risk for COVID-19 infections. And that's surprising because what is the link? What is the rationale that, I, that a cognitive disorder or a behavioral disorder will be linked to, to a respiratory uh, illness and um, into the immunist system, something that, it, it was very strange. And, uh, and you know what, the, the CDC, the, the Center, Centers for Disease and, uh, Prevention and Control, right? So something like that, the CDC in, in the US, they, they published very recently, only two or three months ago, they published a list. Roman, you will not believe it. They, they published a list of, of uh, medical conditions that were found in, in the meta-analysis and, and literature reviews, they, they, they published a list of medical conditions that were found to be the very dangerous and, and increased the risk for COVID-19. And among this, and in this list, you can see conditions such as cancer. You can see conditions such as cardiovascular disease. And you know what else you see there? You see there attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD. Wow. And you see there, and you see there learning disabilities. Wow. That shocked me. The CDC, it's an official, it's an it's an official body, right? And they warn us, the public, that if you have ADHD, you have a, a higher risk to to, um, to to have a severe COVID, not only COVID infections, to have severe COVID. And that shocked me, and I, and I went and I searched for the for the scientific material that the CDC relied on, and I found that they relied they mainly relied on on, on only two studies. They actually mentioned uh, more than more than two studies, but only three of them, only three studies, uh, addressed this topic directly. One study by also by by an Israeli researcher who lives in who lives in America. His name is Arbel, last name Arbel. And he said, and they found in, in America, in the US, they found that if you have ADHD, you actually have a, a higher chances uh, to, to, to better cope with COVID-19. And they provided a, an evolutionary explanation for their finding. So the CDC could, could not have a relied on this study. It doesn't make sense because it's a counterfactual study. So they relied on, on two studies 
from by Israeli researchers. Um, the name of the author is the lead author is uh, is Eugene Merzon, and the corresponding author is Professor Iris Manon. Professor Iris Manon is 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 the Israeli expert for ADHD. He's like Russell Barkley, but in Israel. Yeah. And and so Professor Iris Manon actually back in 2020, uh, she appeared uh, on the media here in Israel. And she warned the public that uh, people with ADHD are at higher risk for COVID infections. And guess what? If you want to prevent COVID infections, you want to reduce the risk back to normal, you, you know what you should do? According to Professor Elias Manoy, according to their studies? Let me guess. Forget about masks. Forget about vaccines. You know what they should do? They should take Ritalin. They should yeah. take stimulant medications. Because she argued that they found that stimulant medications reduce the risk for for COVID infections. Uh, can and, I ask? And their study, yeah, yeah, Jacob, sure, sure. I just, I just, I'm sorry, I to... got enthusiastic. No, no, that's that's great. I appreciate uh, you going there. I just want to ask from a parent's perspective, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when I read the study, I felt after reading it as a parent, as a uh, a, a layman, if you will, I'm not an expert, but I felt that the that the only explanation was really like like this. Okay, well, if you have ADHD and you can't really pay attention, you may make mistakes such as touching a surface that hasn't been disinfected, yes. or you may you may run out the door without a mask. So it's about the not paying attention, uh, right? Isn't that what they kind of the main claim yes, was yes. of the study? Yeah. Yes. Let wow. me um, say something about uh, empirical research. When you do a, a empirical research, you want to show results, and you may offer, or actually you should offer, an explanation for the results. So you actually um, mentioned the explanation, the theoretical explanation, that was offered by the authors. And this is this explanation it may it may hold water. Can you say hold water in English? Uh, yeah, it may, yeah. I mean, it, it makes uh, sense. Yeah, like it's valid, right? It's valid to be concerned about it. Sure, sure. So uh, the theory, the theoretical explanation may exist, but but the 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 finding itself, the link between ADHD and COVID nineteen infections, the finding itself first needs to be established. Maybe. Assuming if the study, if the if the link does not exist, so it doesn't matter if you have a very good theoretical explanation because um, because you, you took this explanation to an empirical testing, and so so I actually dove dove I I dived you dove I went yeah, you dove in, I, I I dove into into the results and into the their studies and uh, and I want to tell you what I found. But before before I'm telling you, before I tell you what I found, let me let me complete the story. So they published a study in in 2020, where where they found that that the ADHD increases the risk for COVID-19, and they explained it with using your explanation that you said, and that the stimulant medication, the treatment of choice for ADHD, reduces the risk back to normal. Okay. And, uh, and then in, 20, uh, in 2021, they published a second study in which they said that, a COVID, that a ADHD increases the risk for severe COVID. 
And in this study, they did not say anything about medications. So he, these are the two studies that they published. They, these studies were published in the, in the Journal of Attention Disorders. The, the Journal of Attention Disorders is the academic home for, uh, for ADHD. It's a well-acknowledged uh, platform. It, it has a good impact factor. It was established by, profe by Professor Keith Connors, the, the, who is who's been called the father of ADHD. Uh, uh, by the way, I love Keith Connors. God, God rest his soul. He's, a, he's an amazing guy. Uh, I think that he's a, an amazing critic of ADHD, even though he was one of the founders of ADHD. But anyway, uh, so they published it in the, the mainstream scientific venue. And in their studies, the, the 2020 study and the 2021 studies, there are listed, they were, the 2020 study were, was listed as one of the most read studies in this journal for over a year, a year. And then this 2020 study is still listed there as one of the most read studies. So this is very important because these studies, they made a, a huge impact, not only in Israel. This, these studies were, were published in, a, in, a, in, a, in an academic platform that is published in the US. And think about it, you, you're telling parents, they, tell, they, tell, they essentially told parents, ADHD is so dangerous that you should uh, treat it uh, even you should treat it with medication, even though even when schools are closed, because uh, uh, at least the first study was published uh, after the first wave of the COVID and, and the first wave, if you remember, I'm not sure what happened in America back then, but here in Israel, the first wave was a catastrophe. That was, everything was shut down. So children were requested by, by the leading author of this, of this uh, study, by the corresponding author, they requested to take their medications even though they do not go to school. This is an amazing claim. This is, you need to take responsibility when you say something like that. And she said it based on their, on their findings. She believes that uh, Ritalin and, and, and alike, the, uh, these uh, stimulant medications, they are capable of reducing the risk for COVID infections. And maybe, maybe I'm not sure what she will say about COVID, uh, about severe, severe COVID, because remember, in their second study, they did not, they did not measure medications anymore. And we'll talk about it in a second. And this, and this small nuance that might expose a big, big bias. Okay, so these are the two studies. Are you ready for the rebuttal? Well, I just want to add one, one more thing that popped up before we go to the rebuttal. It's, it, it would be kind of the same thing as saying, uh, you know, uh, teenagers that are now uh, uh, entering uh, sexual age are getting uh, uh, sexual diseases or AIDS, HIV because they're not taking their medication because they have ADHD, they don't pay attention, right? You can take the same concept to many other, other areas and it would be just ridiculous. But for some reason with COVID and ADHD, it seems like a lot of the people bought it. That's just sad. But anyway, go ahead. No, you're, no wait, wait, you're saying something very important. Um, and the reason that I, that I dive into this uh, case study is because it targets a huge issue. And that is that and scientists and uh, and physicians, they in order to um, to convince parents that they should give their medic their children medications, they sometimes not always, but they sometimes they scare them 
and they tell them it's not only about school. ADHD is not a school disorder. It's a real, it's a, it's a real disorder. It's a brain deficit. And if you do not treat your child with medication, he will end up in prison. He will be a, he will do drugs. He will. Yes. So these intimidations, these intimidations, they're, they're sometimes they allegedly they are backed by science. And the parent is scared, and I was scared, and I'm a scientist, and I was scared when I, when I first discovered that my child is, is suffering this severe illness of age. Yeah, yeah, me too, so, me too. And, and how can a parent cope with a physician who tells them, you are an, irresp- an irresponsible parent because you do not give your, your child the treatment of choice? Your child would end up in prison or... Yep. Uh, or catch HIV. Yeah, yeah. And so, it's a scare so, tactic. Yeah, it's a scary tactic. And now, and it's also called disease monitoring. Now, in yep. this podcast, I would not be able to die to 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 go into each and every one of the intimidations and show you how they how they actually are. They let's say uh, they don't false. hold up. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't say. I, I don't want to say a. a uh, more um, more severe uh, accusations. So I would say, just uh, if you read my book, you'll see that these these uh, intimidations are false. They're they're misleading. They're not. They're they're biased. But because I I, I it's important to me to to show you and then the, on the on the listeners that I'm not just saying it because I I feel it because I think that they're they're just trying to to uh, to sell us drugs. I want to I want to make sure that the listeners know that I did my homework. That I went into the dot whenever I had the data. I went to the data time whenever I had the articles. I went to the results and the methodologies, and and I and I try to understand what exactly the science says. And not only uh, with the, the title of the of the article and the abstract of the article. And and I guess this is something that not everybody can do, but and, and scientists and, and fellow scientists they can do, and, and unfortunately only very little people and only very little scientists um, read the the actual methodology chapter and result chapter of the various studies. And 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 you know what? I'm not I'm not I'm not um, I'm not accusing anyone. Uh, clinicians. Physicians, they don't have the time. I took the time, Roman. I told you, I took one year off, and I decided to to um, even though I, I'm not going get, getting paid in this period, I, I it needs to be done. And so I read the science, and yeah. here it is. You ready? Yes. So the best way to to uh, to conduct to to rebuttal, or at least not even, not even to rebuttal, to review evidence, to review scientific evidence is to review the data itself, the data, the data set itself. And in the, in the two studies published by uh, Merzon et al, that, by Merzon and, and, uh, and Manon, and about uh, ADHD and COVID, there are explicit statements that the data will be available for anyone who requests it. So, um, so I contacted the uh, the corresponding author, Professor Manon, and I contacted the, the first author, Dr. Merzon, 
and I, I and I asked for the data. Now, since I I am a, a known critic of IHD, I did not did, I did not contact them directly. I asked a, a friend of mine, a neutral person, an impartial person, to address these uh, the authors and and ask them for the for the data set. And I did not do it alone. I I, I asked a friend of mine. Who, her name is. Uh, Dr. Yafa Shiraz, she's an investigative journalist, a very talented investigative journalist. And together we asked the data to a third neutral person, person and we asked the, to, to give, be given access to the data. And uh, unfortunately, we were not given access. And we tried and we couldn't, and we didn't give it, uh, and we're not given access to the data. And then and when the 2021 study uh, came, uh, came out, the one about severe COVID, we decided that we we will approach the author the authors again, and this time we will approach them directly under our own names, even though we are identified as ADHD critics. And we will uh, CC. We will we will make sure that the editor in chief of the of the Journal of Attention Disorder he will know that we addressed the the authors and requested the data. And remember, they they. They explicitly declare that the data will be available. And Roman, you will not believe what happened next. Tell me. After we, after we requested the data and we CC'd the editor-in-chief, we suddenly received an email that was accidentally um, arrived to uh, it accidentally arrived to us. It, it, I think that the, the corresponding author who sent it she didn't want uh, us to see it. And how do we know? Because she tried to, um, to delete it, but we got it anyway. And this letter, this email was, was, uh, was sent, was meant to be sent to the editor-in-chief. And this email contained three letters. You ready? It said, the email said, beware Scientology related. What? Beware Scientology, these researchers, Yaakov Ophir, Dr. Yaakov Ophir, and Dr. Yafa Shiraz are dangerous. They are Scientology related. Now, I have nothing to say about Scientology. I don't know, I do not know anything about Scientology. Scientology in Israel is it's barely it barely exists. And uh, and um, I, I even I, I hate the fact that I need to 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 uh, to declare here on this podcast that I have nothing to do with Scientology. I'm not a Scientologist. <laughs> Wow. But, but this is this was their her first response to the editor in chief. Beware Scientology related. Dear editor in chief, now I'm 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 I'm, I'm expanding her, her position. You should not pay attention to these two um, dangerous people who are just trying to attack us and um, just ignore them because they are Scientologists. Now we were uh, we thought that this uh, this response is not ethically and not and not and not uh, not not ethically uh, allowed in a, in a scientific discourse and uh, and we told them so we told them that we are that we the resist that that we are surprised that they use these words and uh, and we respectfully ask that they uh, give us the access to the data as they declared now that they knew that we that we saw it, so they uh, they started a lengthy conversation with us that lasted for months, and uh, 
let me jump to the end of the story. They did not give us the, the access to the data by the end of the day, even though they promised they, they would, and they they uh, they told the, the editor in chief that they they will do it, and uh, they they used all kinds of tactics just to withhold the data, and um, and this is only the first thing that I wanted to share with you before we even uh, before we even go into the rebuttal. So they did not. Wow. So we didn't have the data. Now, why? Why would they withhold the data? Why? The second point that I want to make today in this podcast is that in the 2020 study, Merzon and Professor Irismano and additional co-authors they specifically declared that they have no conflicts of interests. None. And I was surprised to see that. And Yafa was surprised to see that because we both, we are, we know uh, Professor Elias Manol. She's a well-known expert here in Israel. And we know that a year before that, in 2019, she, she published together with many co-authors, she published the European Consensus for, AD, for Adult ADHD. And in this European Consensus, she was a co-author. As, as, a, as a recognized expert. And, and she uh, admits her um, uh, relationships with the, with the pharma companies. Uh, she has a relationship, she had at least, relationships with, uh, with Teva and Novoritis and Jensen and all kinds of pharma, leading pharma uh, companies. And you know what? In their 2021 study, the one that, tar that uh, targeted uh, ADHD and COVID-19 and, and severe COVID, and they also said that they do not have a conflict of interest, but they provide an, an author, author note. I've never seen something like that. You can say both. I do not have conflict of interest, yet here is my note. And, and they, they admitted that they, they received their fees, they received their compensations, uh, financial compensations from, 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 from ecological uh, companies. Yeah, so well, may I say... Uh... This by itself, this gap between their their, uh, their uh, straightforward declaration that they have no conflict of interest in their 2020 study. And the fact that they did, they did have conflict of interest. That doesn't mean that the, uh, Roman, I, I will be the last one to argue that the, the very fact that you have a conflict of interest, if you have conflicts of interest, that, may, that means that your study is, is, uh, is, problem, is, is biased. I'm not right. saying that. I'm not saying that you can be in conflict, in conflict of interest and still do good science. But the fact that you declare that you have no conflict of interest while you have one, this is really, really a problem. This is a reason, this is a sufficient reason to retract an article from a scientific journal. The editor-in-chief should have, in my opinion, in our opinion, should have said to Professor Manol and to Dr. Mezon and to the additional co-authors, I'm sorry, but and now I need to retract. I need to remove the article that you published because you dis you you did not disclose important um, information to the to the readers. And and this is this is scientific misconduct. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And Yaakov, if I may say, uh, for example, here in the yeah. U.S. U.S. politics, right? We have a thing called lobbying where big interest groups like pharma or oil or gas companies 
actually uh, contribute, donate uh, millions of dollars to political campaigns. And to me, that is the umbrella conflict of interest from the top down. So when I hear experts say, oh, there's no conflict of interest here, what they're really saying, I don't think it's a conflict of interest, but I'm getting paid by a pharmaceutical company. And like you said, that's okay. But if they're actually presenting uh, cherry-picked uh, data or science that is not really scientifically open to, to having a debate, right, that's constructive for, for the main, for the citizens, then it is a conflict of interest, period. And what you just shared shows me, again, this is just one example for those of you listening, that we have to question, we have to dig a little deeper, and that's why we have such amazing uh, uh, people like yourself digging deeper. So thank you for doing that for us, you know? I have to say that I, I feel humbled in front of the great experts that you that you brought into your podcast. They, they, they are in this field, people like Peter Bregin and, and Sammy Timini and so many great people that you brought. And they are, they are in this business, business is not a good word, but in this field of ADHD criticism, many more years than I am. And I am, I'm only there. They're a student. I mean, I, I, I tried my best to, to do a, a really comprehensive work in my book to, to give the reader a, a wide outlook, a wide perspective that they can see the, the, the big picture. But, um, but uh, I, I salute you for, for doing this. For, but anyway, let's go back. Let's Thank go you. back to the, to the criticism. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, so as I said before, I, I do not want to stay only with this uh, conflict of interest issue because unfortunately medicine in general is tainted or stained with, with conflict of interest. And, um, and it's very hard to, it will be a, it's not, a, how, how can I say it where, and, and remain in it? Okay, in a careful manner. Let, let me say this. Saying that a study uh, ha, that authors have conf conflict, conflicts of interest is not enough for a rebuttal, for a scientific rebuttal. It's an important thing to, to be aware of, but it's not enough. In this case, it's not only our conflict, con conflicts of interest, it's, a, it's the it's the concealment of conflicts of interest. This is, this is a bigger issue. And yet I wanna say, let's, let's go further. Let's go into the data itself. Now I don't have the data because who is to give me the data, right? So yeah. what, I, what we did is, what we did is, we took the article, we took the two articles, the 2020 study and the 2021 study. And then we took two additional articles by the same authors by Melzon et al. Melzon and one is one a uh, one established in the same journal in the same journal of attention disorder a day after the 2020 study and this the, the one that was published the day after was uh, it was about a, a childhood illness that is called a shigliosis childhood shigliosis 
and it and it addressed a, a different topic, ADHD, and it's linked to childhood scoliosis. Remember that the, in the in the um, in the field of ADHD, there is a trend to scare parents that ADHD causes many many problems. So this is this is a study about ADHD and scoliosis. Okay. So this is one study. And another study that we found by Melzon et al, now without Professor Ismanov, because it didn't target ADHD, it targeted only COVID-19. The study was published also one day later, but in a different journal. It's the name of the journal is FEBS, F-E-B-S. And, and, and this study addressed COVID-19 and vitamin D, allegedly a totally different study. But in this study, this different study, the authors use the same data set, the same data set of medical records by a large healthcare here in Israel that is called Leumit. And, and, the, and the number of medical records that they used was the same. And it was the same data. So one, one study used the same data. And the other study, the one that was published in the Journal of Attention Disorder, the one about, about Julioza study, it, it didn't use the same data, but it used the same source of data. It also used medical uh, medical records by Leumit Health Service. And I'm telling you all of this because when we had these three articles open in front of us, we were were suddenly uh, able to um, how do you say the word in English to 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 do this crossing to 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 uh, to see what happened in the data. And, and we discovered really unbelievable things. For example, so we have, uh, we, we have two studies on ADHD in the Journal of Attention Historias. They were published back to back under, in the hard copy. They were published one after the other. And one of these studies, the ADHD and, and COVID-19 study, they, they, they declared, they, they found a prevalence of ADHD that was about 20% among children and adolescents, 20%, it's huge. And the other study, the one that we published right next to it and use the same source of data, not the same data, but the same source of data by the WIT by, by medical records, they found uh, about between eight and 10%. So this is a huge gap. It's a, it's a huge gap because how can you explain that, that you find such an enormous, such enormous rates of ADHD in, a, in your, in your um, data, uh, rates that, that uh, are deviant uh, when you think of, of the DSM, of the statistical manual that we use to uh, diagnose uh, medical illness, uh, psychiatric uh, uh, disorders. Because the DSM, if you if you remember, the DSM um, determines that ADHD is the prevalence of ADHD is about five percent in most cultures. So there is a huge gap between twenty percent and five percent, and yeah. there is a huge gap between their own studies. And when you find such a huge, such such so, um, and when you when you find a, such a large prevalence of ADHD in your study, you need to stop. You need to say, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. Either my 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 uh, data is is something is wrong with the data, or we are evidencing something that is much more um, important 
than the link between ADHD and COVID-19. We are evidencing a, a, an epidemic. We have an epidemic of ADHD. 20% of the medical records, it's not self-report. It's not just, you, you, it's not that they ask parents, well, your, your child, does your child have ADHD? No, these are, are, are solid medical records and they found 20%, 20%. It's, it's unbelievable. I, I think that, the, that having 20% uh, in, in um, 20% 20, 20 prevalence is, is a key rebuttal point of the entire um, theoretical tower that is called ADHD. And why is that? And, and here I'm opening a bracket, brackets, but a parenthesis, but there is a very important parenthesis. And, and it goes like this. It doesn't matter any, any um, psychiatric disorder, it doesn't matter whether ADHD, schizophrenia, depression, it doesn't matter. Any psychiatric disorder has to be deviant. If a disorder is so prevalent, then it is not. It is not an abnormal disorder. It's not. It's it's normal. It's normative, right? So, so when you when they when they found twenty percent prevalence, they should have stopped the research and and, and do something about it. But, but it's very strange. Why did they have um, su such a huge gap? Assuming that they used more or less the same data, how is it possible? And how does the editor in chief of the, of the Journal of Attention Disorder? Can how can he publish two studies that one says that ADHD is the, the prevalence of ADHD is twenty percent and the other says that it's ten percent? How is it possible? Remember, we think of ADHD, or they think, uh, not we, the scientific consensus representatives, they think of ADHD as a as a neurobiological disorder. It's a, it's a, a, which should which should be um, distributed in the in the population in more or less the about in about the same rate. It doesn't make sense that a brain deficit will occur more in, in one population and less in another population. It doesn't make sense. So, so when the editor-in-chief saw this gap, he also should have stopped the publication. One of these studies is, is flawed. And you know what? How, how is it possible? Because they used different definition for ADHD. In their- Wait, wait, wait. wait. In their, uh, in their shigliosis study, they uh -huh. explicitly said that the diagnosis of ADHD by itself is a problematic indication for having ADHD. It's given temporarily, they said. And only if the child receives medications, then they call, it, they call this child an ADHD child or, or this individual. Now, this is an amazing point because remember, they said that that taking Ritalin reduces the risk. But taking Ritalin, according to their own definition, is a way, an indirect way, to define a child or, or an adult as having ADHD. Because they said that if you just have the, the disorder and you don't take medication, then you might do not have, might, might not have ADHD. So this that's, is, this is a, a- Well, Yaakov. <laughs> Uh, it's a nuance, but it's a big nuance. Yeah. Remember, I, they're, they're the same authors. Yes. Sorry. Sorry, I just wanted to. <laughs> I just wanted to insert the parent brain here, the parent mind, because my head is spinning, and I think I'm realizing that you know it really is a matter of not only the source of the data, 
the, the research, right? Who is, who is uh, providing the data? Who is writing the, the study or the articles or whatnot, but also the definitions. So there's so many moving parts. And I think one of the things that I'm hearing that maybe parents can, can uh, digest this in an easier way, that there's some interest, some intention, some something that someone's trying to achieve. And I'm sure I mean, we're, we're going to get there, but I'm curious to see, uh, uh, you know, who's, in whose interest is it to come out with these studies, right? Because in the end, that's really what matters. Um, well, you know, in my book, I dedicate only one chapter to the conflicts of interests. Because I wanted to, I, my goal is to remain within the borders of science and to expose the discrepancies, to expose the gaps and, and return to the reader and, and tell the reader, you decide. You decide if these gaps are, are reasonable. You decide if these, if these um, allegedly mistakes, if, if, if it is possible that they were done a, a without, without intention, without the awareness of the, of the authors. And in our rebuttal article that we, that we published in a, in a place that is called Ethical Human Psychology and Psychiatry, it's probably the only uh, um, peer-reviewed journal, academic journal, that uh, is willing to give voice to such um, unconventional voices like ours. And yeah, they call them uh, uh, dissonant. They call them dissonance now, but uh, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, so, so I, so in this article that we published in this in this journal, in ethical uh, human psychology and psychiatry, we explicitly uh, said over and over again that we're not attributing the author's misconduct. We're only exposing the contradictions. And you, the reader, you decide. But, but your point is really, really valid. And it brings me to, to one last point that I want to say about this study, because I, I understand that I, we had, we had a, a seven points for each, for each study, for each one of the two studies uh, that targeted uh, this topic. But I want to, I want to just mention one, one last point. Because it's this is a really an amazing point, and once again, you decide if it's if it is reasonable that it, it has been uh, by mistake. Okay, so okay. in the twenty twenty study, they uh, they investigated infections, COVID nineteen infections, and they said, um, and they said that the, in their limitations in the limitation section of the study, they said that. They did not, that, that way, I, I, I have to read it to you. They said, data regarding uh, symptoms and severity of COVID-19, hospitalizations and, and mechanical ventilations, this data were not, these data were not assessed. This is in, in their words. They did not assess data, uh, data about severe COVID. Now that surprised us because in their methodology section, they explicitly said that they, they had this data. And also in the study about the vitamin D, remember the one that we located in, in, in a different journal? Yep. They explicitly, uh, they explicitly reported about uh, uh, data about severe COVID. And also in the 2021 study, they reported about severe COVID. So what happened to severe COVID in the 2020 study? 
and and why did they when why did they say that it that this this information was not assessed because they had it now remember that in the 2020 study they already they also investigated medications stimulant medications for ADHD now one starts to think wait a minute is there a link between stimulant medications and severe COVID that makes sense right maybe maybe stimulant medications we that we know that have a cardiovascular unwanted cardiovascular outcomes maybe they're not they're not a good idea to use them these medications through through an active pandemic but they didn't give us the information about they, they assessed medications but they, they said that they did not assess severe covid and guess what when they did assess when they did report about severe COVID in the 2021 study, do you know what happened? Tell Suddenly, me. they do not report about medications. Huh. Roma, this is unbelievable. We have two studies. One addresses medications and do not say anything about severe COVID. And the other addresses severe COVID and does not say anything about uh, medications. <laughs> now, one of the authors of the 2021 study is Professor Samuel Corteze. Professor Samuel Corteze is the leading author of guidelines, a guidelines to, to, to physicians of how to use medications for ADHD during the pandemic. They, they specifically initiated instructions to physicians because they recognized that there is a risk. And they told physicians, if, the, if this is the first time that the child receives the medication, the similar medications, Ritalin and the like, you need to make sure that this child does not have cardiovascular problems in his family. So Professor Samuel Corteze, one of the authors of the 2021 study, he, at least he knows that, that medications may not be a good idea to be, a, to be administered in a, during an active pandemic. And but that, that's a big, I mean, did, that, that's a huge uh, point there, right? If that was the case, if parents... We're supposed to know that during the pandemic, their children shouldn't get, shouldn't take their uh, stimulant medication, right? I mean, I'd, I had never heard about that. And I've been doing research so, on ADHD. Uh, so let me, let me be clear because I don't want to mislead our readers. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that Professor Corteze and other representatives of the scientific consensus say that you should not use uh, stimulants during the pandemic. I'm just saying that they are, they are aware, that at least Corteze and maybe others, they are aware that, that there is a risk. They are aware that it should be at least in, in first usages. So they know about it. Now, if they know about it, how come they don't measure medications in their severe COVID, in their severe COVID study? Now, one can say, well, in, in, and you don't need to measure everything in one study, and you, and you can be right. But remember that only a year before, Professor Linus Manor went on TV and in Israeli TV, and she said the main headline that should be taken from our research is that medications for ADHD should be used because they prevent, they reduce the risk for COVID-19 infections. That was her her bottom line, and. And then when she they, and, and now that they, they inquire about the, the severe COVID 
Now you do not. Now you do not report about medications. This is, in my opinion, really uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Now, since I don't have the data, the data, I do not know if medications are they 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 increase the risk for severe COVID or not. I'm not claiming that they do. I do not know. But the fact that this this information was hidden was concealed from us and we know that it was concealed from us because we know that they know they know about the risk as i mentioned before and we know that they they were interested in this topic they because we know that uh, professor mano she wanted she she specifically uh, targeted this so, subject Yaakov, medication so, in covid I know, yes. I know that the bulk of your work is obviously scientific research, but just asking you again personally about your intuition when you first found that out, are you saying, uh, well, I, I shouldn't say are you saying, but what I'm hearing is that there was an, an interest group that or it was in their interest to not have that, that part of the data revealed because that would have meant that parents would have stopped or at least for the time suspended, uh, you know, giving their kids stimulant medication, meaning the sales of those medications would have gone down. I mean, that's sort of my first reaction. Is that where this is heading? The sales of medications went, the, the sales of medications, as far as I understand, they did, uh, they did go down. And ADHD, as we can see, it's a, it became, a, a, a huge problem, right? Every every second household has has a child who is diagnosed or will be diagnosed with ADHD. And stimulant medications are the best sellers medications for children, at least uh, one of the best sellers, but they're, so there is a, a large money involved. And yet, as I said before, I will not uh, determine it for, as a fact. I will not say that Professor Mano or uh, Dr. Melzon did it on purpose. I do not want to do that. Uh, but I wish to raise the concern because I look at the data, uh, not on the data, I look at the, at the information they provide us and I, and I say, these gaps are unexplainable. We need to find explanations. And, and they need to give us the, da the data. It's their obligation as scientists. They, they know that they're, it's their obligations. They, they even called me on the phone. It's not, it, it, they called me and they, they had all these excuses and they said, yes, you will, you will, you will get it within a month, with two months and never got it. But only after I, 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 I I'll, only when I, uh, when I have the, the data in my hand, I, I could go back on your podcast and tell you, listen, uh, medications, increase the risk or, or do not increase the risk for COVID-19. But, but you're, I think that this concern should be, should be voiced. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. I mean, again, I want to make sure I'm not confusing the listener and the listener isn't confused. What you're saying is that there was just some data that was withheld, even though they knew or they said they knew that there is a risk of taking stimulant medication if a child is exposed to COVID or during a pandemic. And for some reason, that information never got out, right? That is what we're saying. Uh, almost, almost exactly. Okay, one yeah, clarify. Authors, one of the authors of the 2021 study, Professor Samuel Cortese, he at least knows that 
prescribing stimulant medications during an active pandemic is should be be should be very carefully uh, addressed mm-hmm. because and and he he, um, he published these guidelines together with other uh, co-authors and uh, and I I uh, I assume that he should have told uh, Professor Manon, his co-author in, in the COVID-19 study, and, and, and ask her, what, what do we know about the medications? Because we, you have the data, you, you have the information. How do we know that they have the information? Because they had it, they, they, reported, it, they reported it in, the previous, in their previous study. So something doesn't add up. Now, Many, maybe every each one of these of these personnel, maybe each one of them is a is innocent. It didn't. They maybe they they all try their best to do good science, but the, the but the final outcome is not good science. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, I, you know what I said earlier is like I never heard of of that. Uh, what Dr. Cortese was aware of, or this group of co-authors were aware of. I, I will send. I will send you the guidelines after yeah, this. Uh, please, uh, and, and I will. I will send you. I will make them available in the show notes as well as obviously all your other work. But uh, you know, the, the reason why I said that is because. Again, I do feel like if it's in someone's interest or a group's interest for this information not to be public during a pandemic, then it would make sense that I'd never heard about it until that article, right? That article that we both read and we're like, wait, what is related? And then that's a different topic, but similar, uh, right? So, well, so you, I just want to say, rebuttals, uh, you've done a lot of rebuttals of these so-called uh, articles or scientific research, um, uh, articles about scientific research. And why do you think ultimately um, that there aren't that many rebuttals written uh, about these often, I think, ridiculous sounding articles? Yeah. yeah. Uh... There are two interesting answers, or maybe more, but it, I, I want to offer two interesting uh, answers to your question, to your important question. The first is that many rebuttals, many rebuttal letters, there is, there is a form of, a, of scientific correspondence that is called letters, letters to the editor. And, uh, and, and you can write, a, as, as a scientist, you can write a letter to an editor-in-chief of a certain journal and, and, uh, and, um, and criticize a, a published article. So the first, the first answer is that many of these correspondence letters, letters to the editors, are just being rejected. I myself, I try to publish some letters, not only in the field of ADHD, it's very hard to publish letters. Uh, letters to to the editor because think about it the editor if the letter is strong if the letter presents a valid a rebuttal then the editor in chief faces a problem because either he admits that his journal his respected journal published a bad research and he needs to go back to the to the authors and maybe retract their 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 yeah. uh, study which is a, a very rare thing that it doesn't happen. Uh, often in science, or he needs to give you a good, a good, um, or, or, or the 
authors. The authors of this given study, they need to give you a good a, a good uh, rebuttal of the rebuttal. How do you say that? They, they need to answer <laughs> your, your questions. Yeah. So, and sometimes they don't have a good a good answers. So many of these uh, these articles are just not accepted into publications. And, and in our case, in this case, it's a very interesting case because um, I we first turned to to the Journal of Attention Disorders and we we asked them to publish our credit and they they wouldn't do that. So we had to publish in Ethical Human Psychology and Psychiatry and also in another great place which is called Mad in America. Uh, which is uh, aimed to, towards the general public. I met in America by Robert Whitaker, yep. uh, uh, a colleague and, a, and an admired persona by himself, and who also actually recommends my book. He, he gave me an endorsement. That's, I'm, that's I'm great. very honored to have an endorsement. Yeah. So, uh, so we so we found an outlet for for our. Uh, it's not a letter. We wrote a, a full length article. But then you know what happened in the in, a, in the sec after the uh, after uh, Melzon and Manol published their second uh, study in, in 2021, um, and we and we cc the, the editor in chief of uh, the Journal of Attention Disorders, he actually suggested when he saw that they're not giving us the with the office they're not giving us access to the data, and we when we became aware to our credit to our to the to the uh, to the strength of our arguments, he proposed to us uh, to write a dedicated article to his journal, and we did so. We sat down for for at least a month, and we wrote another article that targeted that targeted mostly the 2021 study, and and we and we submitted to the Journal of Attention Disorders, and then he sent it to review. And after several uh, weeks or months, uh, we received an answer that this uh, study is rejected, and that and the review, not the study, the, uh, that our article was rejected, and the review was was so poor, Roman. It was it was as if non-scientists wrote it. I we were shocked to see the the the, the low quality of this review. And I'm not just uh, accusing them. I have I have it. I can. I'm not publishing it online because it's 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 borderly ethical, you know, because I don't want to to expose the the behind the scenes. But yeah, but I in a way I think that the public should know how how respected scientific platforms they find ways to to avoid uh, debates to to avoid critic criticism by. By by lame excuses, and and one can uh, again, as you said, cannot can, uh, has to wonder why why is that? Why how is it possible that the the science the the place that should be objective, that should be transparent, that should be open to dialogue? How is it possible? And and I'm not answering this question specifically. Uh, Intentionally, because I want you, I want the the audience, or I want the the listeners to think about it. It's really scary. Yeah. Well, if I may add to this, that I believe again, when I go back to this example of the U U.S. politics being heavily, if not mostly, swayed, you know, results swayed by lobbying, which is giving money 
uh, uh, to an interest group, to me, that's just borderline. That needs to disappear. That's, that's I think, an illegal, it's not illegal, it's legal. That's what makes it, I think, scary. Uh, and, and I think something similar is happening in, in, in the world of science and academics is that wherever the money is, the science will follow. And that's not actual science, unfortunately. I tend to agree. I tend to agree. And, and I promised you a second answer. And then the second answer is that, is that um, there, are, there are experts. There are critics of ADHD. There are actually many of them, many of us. Yep. And, uh, and when, when I listened to your podcast and I went, when I did the research uh, for my book, I suddenly found them. So there are, there are many of us, but the mainstream media and the mainstream science, they, they shut us down. It's very hard. And that's why your job is so important that you do, that you disseminate, this is the word, that you do this broadcasting game and, and you, you mm -hmm. make the science available to, to all people. So yeah, this yeah. is our mission, I think. Well, uh, because thank there you. are people. Yes. We're not alone they're... here. <laughs> Yeah, there are people, and look, I'm not saying, and I know you you probably will agree, we're not saying we're absolutely right in everything we say. We are just saying we do have to dig deeper. We do have to look at both or all sides of the debate and even stand for further debates. And whenever somebody says, and this is kind of like Fauci during COVID, whenever somebody says the science is in and I am the science and don't question it, that's a red flag. <laughs> I am science. <laughs> yeah, I am the law. I am science. Yes, exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. But, uh, but I, I agree that, um, that we are not uh, saying that we are absolutely right. But there is something that I want to say that it, it's, it's about the benefit of the doubt or about the, the burden of proof. And... The, when you are in our camp, I think you call it, you, uh, how do you call it? The, the, not the coping camp, the thriving camp? Thriving, yes. Camp you thriving. have a name for it. Yeah, camp thriving. But when, when you are in, in our camp, you don't have the burden of the proof. I mean, when in science, when you have a theory that ADHD is a thing and that stimulant medications are, they are uh, helpful and they're, they're safe, the burden of proof is on you. You need to prove that, that the theory is, is uh, empirically uh, sounded. It's, it's uh, valid. And we, our camp, we only need to ask questions. We need to expose the holes. Um, I, uh, if you, if you uh, agree to, um, to, um, to put a link to, the, to my book, to the, to the webpage of my book, or to the flyer that I, that I have, You'll see that I chose the image, the image of my book. I used a balloon, a, a girl holding a balloon. And this balloon has a, has a bandages, color, colored bandages. And, and a, so the theory, the, 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 the theoretical balloon that is called ADHD and stimulant medication, this theoretical overblown balloon, in my opinion, remember 20%, theoretical balloon, is filled with holes, with small holes, with small scientific holes. And they and the scientific consensus representatives, they try to put bandages to to um to cover these holes. Yeah. But when you have so many holes, it doesn't it, it, it's it's it is bound to explode. And it's not our 
and we do not need to, to provide our own alternative theory. And there are alternative theories. For example, the one about the evolutionary perspective, the, the one that uh, I think that you had, a, you had a chapter about that, right? About the... About, uh, uh, yes, I, about it not being uh, uh, genetic. There is another one, a beautiful one. I'll, I'll, I'll remember, I'll, when I remember it, I'll, I'll, I'll say it sure, in a second. Sure. But, but anyway, it's not our job to provide an alternative theory. We only need to raise the doubt. And it's a very important thing to understand in science that, that, we, that it's, it's, like in, 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 um, it's like in law, right? We are the critics and we need to show that, uh, that the scientific consensus has holes. And if, you don't, if, we, if we don't expose the holes, we are, we are, we are ethically wrong. We are, it's, not, it's not okay for, for us to, uh, it's not okay for scientists to, 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 uh, to cover these holes, to, uh, to hide these holes from parents. And, and yeah. it, you know, it's the first, it's, it's the first um, ethical rule in, in, in medication, right? It's informed consent. When, when a physician prescribes a medication to a child, and he doesn't, or he or she, when, when, they, when they don't tell the, the, the parent, listen, dear parent, dear father, dear mother, there is a debate. I think that ADHD is a real thing and I need to give medications, but there is a debate. And, and there are very important people, not Yaakov Ophir, very important people that are, they appear in Romans podcast, and they think otherwise. And there are people from, from the heart of the, of the mainstream science that they argue that stimulant medications are not so safe as, as, they, as they argue. And they are not as, as not effective, especially in the long term. They're not effective. And, and the fact that the physicians don't tell parents this information, they break on the first rule of informed consent. Yeah, in my yeah. Opinion. And you know, Yaakov, one of the most mind-blowing things to me is again you know lots of parents that i've talked to have said um two points i want to make a lot of parents have said i always felt like something was not right right so they go go going back to what you said about your intuition and what i did with my son our son through intuition is like i don't see a lot of people in what i called camp coping right the russell barkley or uh, the sort of pro-disorder, um, pro-medication camp, I don't see a lot of them, first of all, a lot of them don't have their own children that had ADHD, I noticed. It's just something I noticed. Not all of them, but a lot of them don't have anybody in their immediate family. Um, and also, there's not a lot of validation of parents' intuition, of their feelings, right? It's more like, yeah, you don't know, and I know, and then they're hiding facts like the one you just mentioned. And now here's one that I've observed that is just, it's just an observation. There's no scientific evidence to what I'm about to say. But in our camp, I've noticed a lot of speakers are very passionate like yourself, like myself. We speak very calmly and I believe lovingly. And on the other side, there's a lot of anger and a lot of intensity and a lot of defensiveness. So to me, and there, there is something about that. Yeah. Beware, Scientology related. Yeah, yeah. This is you're you're touching a very interesting subject because in science you would expect that science embraces debates. 
So uh, this yeah. is how science advances. And so why, when I first uh, came out with my, with my uh, came out of the closet, right? When I first came out with my, with my Hebrew article, but then we, which was then translated into English, why was I, I attacked? I, 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 was, I was shocked. I, uh, let me tell your, your uh, listeners something personal. Um, when, I, when I first published the, the first article, not an academic article, it, just, it was a, it was a um, as you said, it was published in Haaretz. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a newspaper here in Israel. Was, and uh, suddenly this, this article, um, it was read by, by so many people in the country, in our country, in Israel. And, um, and, and, uh, and the TV and, and, uh, and the radio stations, they all, they all contacted me and they asked me to, to, to do interviews. And, uh, and uh, I was shocked because on the one hand, I saw how many parents are, are worried about this, uh, this issue and also about I didn't. I didn't recognize that I'm entering a minefield, and I was attacked, and I, I, I've been called so many names, and I told that I'm. I've been told that I'm endangering the public and all kinds of accusations. And after two weeks, I I got scared, and I got back into the closet, <laughs> into the cave, and it's starting. And I started uh, doing the reading and the writing, starting doing the signs itself, and uh, and in a way. This is the. This is how my book was born. The book that is about to be published, or I'm not sure when. When is this chapter is going to be uh, broadcasted? But uh, but the book is is really it's it's, it's upcoming. And um, yeah. And I so I thank my critics, my my opponents, and I thank these uh, these uh, angry uh, experts who yelled at me. Because if they didn't do so, I wouldn't uh, engage in this battle. Yeah and, yeah, and now that they did, I, I, I have what to answer. I have a full book, a comprehensive rebuttal. That um, after this chapter, I, I, I hope that the listeners understand how how deep I went in my book. In, in I, I try to be, to 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 write it in a clear in a clear language that that parents can read. You don't need to be a scientist to read it, but I went deep. It was important to me to. Uh, to do the, the the actual rebuttal, the scientific rebuttal, so so it will, in my language, it will hold water. It will be valid, and it will be comprehensive. It will be it will be give really the 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 big picture to parents. Yeah, and uh, by the way, I just want to acknowledge you, and by acknowledging you, I know that I'm essentially acknowledging myself and other parents who really. Uh, you know, take the time, uh, energy, efforts, passion, commitment to dig deeper. And essentially, it's for our children, right? It's for our own children, but it's really for children in general, young beings that don't have, you know, they're not at an age uh, of the legal uh, ability to, to defend themselves. So to say, no, I'd like to wait a little longer. Maybe let's wait and see how I am at 12, 14, 16, 18, right? And so I just want to acknowledge you right. for doing for doing all the, the hard work and for uh, putting yourself out there for that community to shoot at you, right? It's like we get, we're shooting the messengers, uh, often not listening. <laughs> I, I admit that, I admit that, the, uh, that, uh, 
that I only engaged in this field uh, only after my firstborn son was was born. And, uh, yeah. and if yeah. he, and if you weren't uh, labeled with with this made up diagnosis, I would probably not do anything about it. So and, and by the way, Roman, uh, my um, my opponents, or it's not my opponents, they they are they are the majority. So the majority they uh, they uh, argue uh, argue at me that I am that I have conflicts of interest. Why? Because I am. I am biased. I, I'm fighting my son's battle. This is what they say. I'm fighting my son. And I admit, I admit that I'm fighting my son's battle. And I do my best to do it um, to, to meet the, the, the highest scientific standard, standards that I can. And I and I um, and I wrote them uh, I wrote them as a book and I and I uh, and I ask you to challenge me. I ask you not to challenge me, to challenge the content of the book. Forget about me. Just challenge the content right, of right. the book. Yeah. And, 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 and it's amazing that the, 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 these experts, that they're so heavily funded, and sometimes they, they do not disclose their, their uh, relationship. They tell me that I, that I am biased. This is just a, a, an upside down world. Can you say that in English? See, you know, if you look at the bias, it's like, well, you still get to choose. Sure, maybe yours and, and, and mine, they're a bias as well. But our bias uh, is getting funded and paid with love, health, connection, family, yeah. discovery, science, whereas their bias is just money. So you choose, yeah. right? And, and also... I don't, I, I think that you, you'll identify with that, with, but with your son, but in our case, um, thank God, with our approach as parents and with, uh, with the, with the, just the wonderful um, personality strengths that our son has, our son, we, we uh, sometimes my wife and I, and I, we joke that a, uh, that he's a, a medical a, a, a miracle. How? Because he has he he was labeled with this lifelong uh, diagnosis, right? Uh, neurobiological diagnosis, neurodevelopmental diagnosis, and he was healed. <laughs> it's a miracle, yeah. right? Yeah. How is he healed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was healed with with parenting. I, I hesitate to say good parenting because I don't want to say about myself, but uh, but. And he was healed with, with parenting, with proper parenting. He was healed with proper approach to this, um, how, how you call it? You call it a friction, a friction between the child's personality and yep. the demands, the school demands. And I love this uh, definition of, uh, that, you made, uh, that you have. So mm. I agree. So, I agree. Um, so if Yaakov. you take a child. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. So one one of the rebuttal points is that it, that you can take a child with this allegedly brain deficit, lifelong brain deficit, but in certain contexts, this brain deficit poof disappeared disappears. It's really amazing. It's it's an amazing phenomenon. It, yeah, it and, is. Uh, it is. And I say this. And I'm not saying that that it's not it's not hard to raise an ADHD type child, a, a child with ADHD like characteristics. I'm not saying that it's easy. I would be the last one to say that it's that it's easy. Right. 
Right. But, um, Absolutely. Uh, yet, I think if we uh, blame the child or the brain for it versus if we look at the environment, the friction it causes, and if we go to work there, it's more work. It takes longer, right? My son has now been, is uh, 13. He was diagnosed at uh, close to seven. So that six years later, he's no longer hyperactive. He is not impulsive, at least not more than any child at 13. And uh, he just, he can pay attention. He's doing some tutoring now to catch up because the school is uh, child-led, right? So there's no grades and no, you could call it, there's the least amount of friction. And now as we're going to introduce him to a new school uh, for high school, where there's going to be a bit more friction, he's, he's learning through tutors to get there and he's getting there. And I agree, it's a miracle, right? No medication it's ever amazing. was given. Yeah. It's amazing. Roman, I, um, with your permission, I want to, I want to read a very short part from my book. Please. It's a, it's a lesson that I learned from my, from my, um, from my young, from my son. Okay. You ready? Beautiful. Yes. It's really a beautiful story, I think. And, uh, and, and because it's such a good story, I, I don't want to ruin it with, with a explaining it. I just, I'll, I'll just read it, okay? It's, I, it's, it's, um, this section is, is taken from the, from the end of the book for the personal epilogue. And it goes like this. It happened in the magical biblical zoo of Jerusalem. My children and I arrived at the Flamingo's Ranch and there they were, proud, pink-colored flamingos alongside majestic white-colored flamingos strolling the yard like prom queens, showing off their one-legged one pose. Suddenly, Mayan, Mayan, my eldest son, right? Suddenly, Mayan noticed that one flamingo looked a bit different than the others. It was not exactly pink, and it was not exactly white. It had instead a striped skin which distinguished it from its flamingo friends, its flamingo classmates. Abba, Abba is daddy. Abba, Mayan asked me with his curious sparkling eyes, why is this flamingo different from, his, from its classmates? I shivered. Like most other questions my son had back then when he was six years old, I did not know the answer to this one. But this question sounded as if it had a deeper hidden meaning. I had to stall for time. So I pulled the, the oldest trick in my psychology book and responded with a question of my own. What do you think? How does this strike from Flamingo feel? My aunt did not hesitate for a moment and shot a sharp answer that stunned me. Abba? I think it feels very special. Perhaps it can even do a perfect cartwheel. So this is the end of the story. Wow. I'll say only one thing that about Mayan, that Mayan is, a, is, a, is a really good in, in gymnastics uh, from a very young age. So, so the cartwheel metaphor is from there. For the wow, that's beautiful. But, uh, that's I don't want to ruin the story with, with, with it. With saying that the actual educational message, because I think it's it's really clear. Right? It is well, yeah. It's it to me. It's it's a beautiful story, and and again, it shows this sort of like, you know, the glass is half full or half empty. You can look at it and say, oh, 
that Flamingo must feel very cast out and he's not the same and he's, you know, he's going to have issues because he's different. Or like Mayan said, it's like, well, uh, he's probably feels very special and he probably can do different things than the others. And he'll always be uh, 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 the one that's special, right? It's just how we look at it. Yes, and it's our job, right? It's it's how this flamingo or our our children. How would they know that they're special? It's our. It's it depends on us. Yeah, yeah. Very well said. I like that. It really depends on us, guides, not just parents, but school teachers, physicians, scientists, right? If we keep feeding. Uh, in this case, parents, because they spend most of the time with us, most of the valuable connection time with us, if we keep feeding them fear or that they're not special or that there's something wrong with them, that is how they're going to feel about themselves and that is how they're going to go through life and see the world. Yes. Okay. And okay. do we want that? Well said, Roman. <laughs> <laughs> well... Perhaps, uh, Yaakov, I just want to, I mean, of course, you and I could go on, and I think we're going to do a part two when you're coming to the U.S., and we're going to get together and hopefully create the documentary together and tour with your book. Uh, so this is to be continued. But uh, for our listeners, tell us more about when your book is coming out, what, what the listener can expect from the book, where it might be available, and then uh, whatever else you'd like to add. Uh, so, so thank you for this uh, opportunity. Um, it's the first time that I talk about this in my book uh, on pub in, in public. I'm very, very excited about it. It's, uh, yeah. It became my life mission. So this book, uh, it, it should appear uh, today. We talk, it's now like June 9th, right? Um, it should appear within a matter of two or three weeks. And, uh, and uh, Roman, if you'd be kind uh, to put a, a link to the webpage of the book or to the flyer, I'll, uh, of course. I'll, uh, I'll thank you. Of course. And this book, as I said, it's a, it's a comprehensive rebuttal. It's a scientific book. It is, it is a, published in a, by, a, by a scientific uh, publication house. But, uh, but as I, I mentioned earlier, I, I tried my best to make the science accessible and to use uh, many examples and, and stories and some some tragic some tragic story but some some uh, funny and uh, and maybe the the brain the chapter on the brain will be a bit more difficult and yet I think that that parents can really enjoy it because they uh, they they, um, they will they will see they will see, <laughs> they will see that that when how did you say it when science says it doesn't it does not always mean that this is the truth. Yeah. And and when we look deep, we see really unbelievable, uh, unbelievable things that uh, that that undermine the, the entire scientific uh, balloon. This overblown balloon that I call. It. And then, and um, as I said, I'm not instructing. I'm not. I'm not advising people uh, against or or for uh, medications. But I think that it, it will be very hard to stay. Um, uh, how do you say that? indifferent after reading the the information I provide in the book about the medications, mm. for example. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and you know, I, I will say that, you know, the, the science, you know, there's a lot of uh, signs uh, that people uh, put in their yard, yard signs. They're like little, you might be familiar with them. It's just a little kind of cardboardy looking sign with, with a metal stake and they put it in their front yard of the houses, right? In, in the US, they do a lot of that for political campaigns. And recently during COVID, there were a lot of uh, neighbors who had signs that says, science is real. And I always thought like, well, yeah, but which, which sure. science and who says it? You can't just say science is real. Of course it's real, water is wet. That's, yes. that's true. Huh. Good science you know, uh, is real. Each chapter of the book, each chapter of the book opens with a with a quote, with a quote that I took from a from consensual platforms, from either from a, from um, from ADHD um, um, websites or from the news or all kinds of. So I, so I use many many quotes in every in the beginning of every uh, in every chapter, and then I, I uh, and then I explain the science that allegedly the science behind this quote, and then I I make the rebuttal. This is the, basically the, the the structure of the chapters. So one of the one of the uh, citations, one of these quote is goes like something like a, a real science defines a ADHD as real, something like that. I, I'm not I do not remember the exact quote. And then I, and then and then I I, uh, I I show the real science says exactly the opposite. But yeah. uh, but it but it's it, it, yeah. The, no, the, it's, uh, it's this great. magical words science says is unbelievable how they use it and right and how far is it from from the from the real science from the truth. Well, I I appreciate first of all you coming on to our show. I know it's been a long time in the making, and you always said, well, you know, my English isn't that great, and I'm here to say your English is really good, Yaakov. Uh, um, you really. You amaze me how you can write in Hebrew and then translate it and write a, an entire book. Uh, that's very inspiring to me. And I'm, I'm really grateful that we were able to make this happen, first of all. And second... Um, you were on the book, Roman, you know? I, you I mentioned your name. I mentioned my name and I, I, I tell the readers about, about your project oh, in the acknowledgement so section. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's really that 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 just made my day and and I just I appreciate that I appreciate you and and you know uh, without people like yourself who who question things and even nowadays saying questioning sounds so so uh, conspiracy and rebel but really just qu you're just questioning uh, uh, things for the better of humanity so thank you for being that kind of person. No, thank you. I, I really, I, I have the feeling, I hope, hope that it's okay that I'm saying it here I, online, but I think that we, we complement each other, right? I, yep. I, I dive into the science and, and, and you make it accessible to the public and, and, and you bring all these experts and I learn from you. I, I, I write it in the book. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Yaakov. You're, you're too kind and not too kind. You're just kind and, and I'm glad we got to do this. And so... For our listeners, uh, there's going to be many uh, links in the show notes to Yaakov's articles, uh, to the website of the book. Um, there's going to be some really good stuff for you to explore, uh, those, those of you listening and more interested. And Yaakov, for now, we're going we're gonna to end this interview as part one, and we'll continue soon. Uh, but it was, a, it was a pleasure having you on. Thank you. Thank you very much, Roman.